Part Two of Rosalind by Thomas Lodge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Part Two. At this, Alinda smiled, and upon this they agreed, and presently gathered up all their jewels, which they trussed up in a casket. Note: trussed up, packed. And Rosalind, in all haste, provided her of robes, and Alinda, from her royal weeds, put herself in more homelike attire. Thus fitted to the purpose, away go these two friends, having now changed their names, Alinda being called Aliena, and Rosalind Ganymede. They travelled along the vineyards, and by many byways at last got to the forest side, where they travelled by the space of two or three days without seeing any creature, being often in danger of wild beasts, and pained with many passionate sorrows. Now the black ox began to tread on their feet. Note, black ox, ill luck. And Alinda thought of her wonted royalty. But when she cast her eyes on her Rosalind, she thought every dangerous step to honor. Passing thus on along, about midday they came to a fountain compassed with a grove of cypress trees, so cunningly and curiously planted as if some goddess had entreated nature in that place to make her an arbor. By this fountain sat Eliana and her Ganymede, and forth they pulled such victuals as they had, and fed as merrily as if they had been in Paris with all the king's delegates, Eliana only grieving that they could not so much as meet with a shepherd to discourse them the way to some place where they might make their abode. At last Ganymede, casting up his eye, espied where on a tree was engraven certain verses, which, as soon as he espied, he cried out, be of good cheer, mistress, I spy the figures of men, for here in these trees be engraven certain verses of shepherds, or some other swains that inhabit hereabout. With that, Aliena start up joyful to hear these news, and looked, where they found, carved in the bark of a pine tree, this passion, Montana's passion. Hadst thou been born, whereas perpetual cold makes Taneus hard and mountains silver old, had I complained unto a marble stone, or to the floods bewrayed my bitter moan, I then could bear the burden of my grief. But even the pride of countries at thy birth, whilst heavens did smile, did new array the earth with flowers chief. Yet thou, the flower of beauty, blessed born, hast pretty looks, but all attired in scorn. Had I the power to weep sweet Murrah's tears, or by my plaints to pierce repining ears, Hadst thou the heart to smile at my complaint, To scorn the woes that doth my heart attaint, I then could bear the burden of my grief. But not my tears, but truth with thee prevails, And seeming sour, my sorrows thee assails, Yet small relief. For if thou wilt, thou art of marble hard, And if thou please, my suit shall soon be heard. No doubt, quoth Aliena, this poesy is the passion of some perplexed shepherd, that, being enamoured of some fair and beautiful shepherdess, suffered some sharp repulse, and therefore complained of the cruelty of his mistress. You may see, quoth Ganymede, what mad cattle you women be, whose hearts sometimes are made of adamant, that will touch with no impression, and sometime of wax that is fit for every form. They delight to be courted, and then they glory to seem coy, and when they are most desired, then they freeze with disdain. And this fault is so common to the sex, that you see it painted out in the shepherd's passions, who found his mistress as froward as he was enamoured. And I pray you, quoth Aliena, if your robes were off, what metal are you made of, that you are so satirical against women? Is it not a foul bird defiles the own nest? Beware, Ganymede, that Rosader hear you not, if he do, perchance you will make him leap so far from love that he will anger every vein in your heart. Thus, quoth Ganymede, I keep decorum. I speak now as I am Aliena's page, not as I am Gerismond's daughter. For put me but in a petticoat, and I will stand in defiance to the uttermost that women are courteous, constant, virtuous, and what not. Stay there, quoth Aliena, and no more words, for yonder be characters graven upon the bark of the tall beech-tree. Let us see, quoth Ganymede, and with that they read a fancy written to this effect. 
First shall the heavens want starry light, the seas be robbed of their waves, the day want sun, the sun want bright, the night want shade, the dead men graves, the April flowers and leaf and tree before I false my faith to thee. First shall the tops of highest hills by humble plains be overpried, and poets scorn the muses' quills, and fish forsake the water glide, and iris lose her colored weed. Note, garment. In what modern expression is this meaning of the word retained? Before I fail thee at thy need, first direful hate shall turn to peace, and love relent in deep disdain, and death his fatal stroke shall cease, and envy pity every pain and pleasure mourn, and sorrow smile, before I talk of any guile. First time shall stay his stayless race, and winter bless his brows with corn, and snow bemoisten July's face, and winter spring, and summer morn, before my pen, by help of fame, cease to recite thy sacred name. Montanus. No doubt, quoth Ganymede, this protestation grew from one full of passions. I am of that mind too, quoth Eliana, but see, I pray, when poor women seek to keep themselves chaste, how men woo them with many feigned promises, alluring with sweet words as the sirens, and after proving as trothless as Aeneas. Thus promised Demophilon to his Phyllis, but who at last grew more false. The reason was, quoth Ganymede, that they were women's sons, and took that fault of their mother. For if man had grown from man, as Adam did from the earth, man had never been troubled with inconstancy. Leave off, quoth Aliena, to taunt thus bitterly, or else I'll pull off your pages apparel and whip you, as Venus doth her wantons, with nettles. So you will, quoth Ganymede, persuade me to flattery, and that needs not. But come, seeing we have found here by this fount the tract of shepherds, by their madrigals and roundelays, let us forward, for either we shall find some folds, sheepcoats, or else some cottages, wherein for a day or two to rest. Content, quoth Aliena. And with that they rose up and marched forward till towards the even. And then, coming into a fair valley, compassed with mountains, whereon grew many pleasant shrubs, they might descry where two flocks of sheep did feed. Then, looking about, they might perceive where an old shepherd sat, and with him a young swain, under a covert most pleasantly situated. The ground where they sat was diapered with Flora's riches, as if she meant to wrap Tellus in the glory of her vestments. Round about, in the form of an amphitheatre, were most curiously planted pine trees, interseamed with lemons and citrons, which, with the thickness of their boughs, so shadowed the place that Phoebus could not pry into the secret of that arbor. So united were the tops, with so thick a closure that Venus might there in her jollity have dallied unseen with her dearest paramour. Fast by, to make the place more gorgeous, was there a fount so crystalline and clear that it seemed Diana with her dryads and hamadryads had that spring as the secret of all their bathings. In this glorious arbor sat these two shepherds, seeing their sheep feed, playing on their pipes many pleasant tunes, and from music and melody falling into much amorous chat. Drawing more nigh, we might descry the countenance of the one to be full of sorrow, his face to be the very portraiture of discontent, and his eyes full of woes, that living he seemed to die. We, to hear what these were, stole privily behind the thicket, where we overheard this discourse. A pleasant eclogue between Montanus and Coridon. Coridon. Say, shepherd's boy, what makes thee greet so sore? Note, greet, weep. Why leaves thy pipe his pleasure and delight? Young are thy years, thy cheeks with roses dight. Then sing for joy, sweet swain, and sigh no more. This milk-white poppy and this climbing pine both promise shade. Then sit thee down and sing, and make these woods with pleasant notes to ring, till Phoebus deign all westward to decline. Montanus. Ah, Coridon, unmeet is melody to him whom proud contempt hath overborne. Slain are my joys by Phoebe's bitter scorn. Far hence my wheel, and near my jeopardy. 
Love's burning brand is couched in my breast, making a phoenix of my fainteful heart. And though his fury do enforce my smart, a blithe am I to honor his behest. Prepared to woes, since so my Phoebe wills, my looks dismayed, since Phoebe will disdain, I banish bliss and welcome home my pain, so stream my tears as showers from alpine hills. In error's mask I blindfold judgment's eye, I fetter reason in the snares of lust, I seem secure, yet know not how to trust, I live by that which makes me living die, devoid of rest, companion of distress, plagued to myself, consumed by my thought, how may my voice or pipe in tune be brought, since I am reft of solace and delight? Corridon. Ah, Laurel lad, what makes thee hairy love? Note, hairy praise. A sugared harm, a poison full of pleasure, a painted shrine full-filled with rotten treasure, a heaven in show, a hell to them that prove. Note, try, test. Again in seeming, shadowed still with want, A broken staff which folly doth uphold, A flower that fades with every frosty cold, An orient rose sprung from a withered plant, A minute's joy to gain a world of grief, A subtle net to snare the idle mind, A seeing scorpion, yet in seeming blind, A poor rejoice, a plague without relief. For the Montanus, follow mine a reed, Note, for thee hence, a read, advice. Whom age hath taught the trains that fancy useth. Note, trains, stratagems. Leave foolish love, for beauty's wit abuseth, And drowns by folly virtue's springing seed. Montanus. So blames the child the flame because it burns, And bird the snare because it doth entrap and fools true love because of sorry hap, and sailors curse the ship that overturns. But would the child forbear to play with flame, and birds beware to trust the fowler's gin, and fools foresee before they fall in sin, and masters guide their ships in better frame, the child would praise the fire because it warms, the birds rejoice to see the fowler fail, and fools prevent before their plagues prevail and sailors bless the bark that saves from harms. Ah, Corydon, though many be thy years and crooked eld, note old age, hath some experience left, yet is thy mind of judgment quite bereft, in view of love whose power in me appears. The plowman little wots to turn the pen, or bookman skills to guide the plowman's cart, nor can the cobbler count the terms of art, nor base men judge the thoughts of mighty men, nor withered age, unmeet for beauty's guide, uncapable of love's impression, discourse of that whose choice possession may never to so base a man be tied. But I, whom nature makes of tender mould, and youth most pliant yields to fancy's fire, do build my haven and heaven on sweet desire, on sweet desire more dear to me than gold. Think I of love, oh, how my lines aspire, how haste the muses to embrace my brows, and hem my temples in with laurel boughs, and fill my brains with chaste and holy fire. Then leave my lines, their homely equipage, mounted beyond the circle of the sun. Amazed I read the style when I have done, and hairy love, note, hairy, praise that sent that heavenly rage. Of Phoebe then, of Phoebe then I sing, drawing the purity of all the spheres, the pride of earth, or what in heaven appears, her honored face and fame to light to bring. In fluent numbers and in pleasant veins I rob both sea and earth of all their state. To praise her parts I charm both time and fate, to bless the nymph that yields me lovesick pains. My sheep, are turned to thoughts whom froward will guides in the restless labyrinth of love. Fear lends them pasture wheresoe'er they move, and by their death their life reneweth still. My sheepbook is my pen, my note and read my paper, where my many woes are written. Thus, silly swain, with love and fancy bitten, I trace the plains, note, complaints, the pain and woeful weed, 
Yet are my cares, my broken sleeps, my tears, my dreams, my doubts, for Phoebe sweet to me, who waiteth heaven in sorrow's veil must be, and glory shines where danger most appears. Then, Corydon, although I blithe me not, blame me not, man, since sorrow is my sweet, so willeth love, and Phoebe thinks it meet, and kind Montanus liketh well his lot. Corydon. O stayless youth, by error so misguided, where will prescribeth laws to perfect wits, where reason mourns and blame in triumph sits, and folly poisoneth all that time provided, with willful blindness bleared, prepared to shame, prone to neglect occasion when she smiles, alas, that love by fond and froward guiles should make thee tract the path to endless blame. Note, tract, trace, walk. Ah, my Montanus, cursed is the charm that hath bewitched so thy youthful eyes. Leave off in time to like these vanities. Be forward to thy good, and fly thy harm. As many bees as Hybla daily shields, as many fry as fleet on ocean's face, as many herds as on the earth do trace, as many flowers as deck the fragrant fields, as many stars as glorious heaven contains, as many storms as wayward winter weeps, as many plagues as hell enclosed keeps, so many griefs in love, so many pains, suspicions, thoughts, desires, opinions, prayers, mislikes, misdeeds, fond joys, and feigned peace, Illusions, dreams, great pains, and small increase, Vows, hopes, acceptance, scorns, and deep despairs. Truce, war, and woe do wait at beauty's gate, Time lost, laments, reports, and privy grudge, And last, fierce love is but a partial judge, Who yields for service shame, for friendship hate. Montanus all adder-like I stop mine ears, fond swain. So charm no more, for I will never change. Call home thy flocks in time that straggling range, For, lo, the sun declineth hence amain. Terentius In amore, haec omnia insunt vitia, Inducii, inimicitiae, bellum pax rosum. In certa haec situ postules rationa certa fieri, nihilo plus agas, quam si des operam, ut cum ratione insanias. The shepherds having thus ended their eclogue, Aliena stepped with Ganymede from behind the thicket, at whose sudden sight the shepherds arose, and Aliena saluted them thus. Shepherds, all hail, for such we deem you by your flocks, and lovers, good luck, for such you seem by your passions, our eyes being witness of the one and our ears of the other. Although not by love, yet by fortune I am a distressed gentlewoman, as sorrowful as you are passionate, and as full of woes as you are of perplexed thoughts. Wandering this way in a forest unknown, only I and my page, wearied with travel, would fain have some place of rest. May you appoint us any place of quiet harbor, be it never so mean, I shall be thankful to you, contented in myself, and grateful to whosoever shall be mine host. Corydon, hearing the gentlewoman speak so courteously, returned her mildly and reverently this answer. Fair mistress, we return you as hearty a welcome as you gave us a courteous salute. A shepherd I am, and this a lover, as watchful to please his wench as to feed his sheep, full of fancies, and therefore say I full of follies. Exhort him I may, but persuade him I cannot, for love admits neither of counsel nor reason. But leaving him to his passions, if you be distressed, I am sorrowful, such a fair creature is crossed with calamity. Pray for you I may, but relieve you I cannot. Mary, if you want lodging, if you vouch to shroud yourselves in a shepherd's cottage, my house for this night shall be your harbor. Aliena thanked Corydon greatly, and presently sat her down and Ganymede by her. Corydon, looking earnestly upon her, and with a curious survey viewing all her perfections, applauded in his thought her excellence, 
and pitying her distress, was desirous to hear the cause of her misfortunes, began to question with her thus. If I should not, fair damsel, occasion offence, or renew your griefs by rubbing the scar, I would fain crave so much favor as to know the cause of your misfortunes, and why and whither you wander with your page in so dangerous a forest. Aliena, that was as courteous as she was fair, made this reply. Shepherd, a friendly demand ought never to be offensive, and questions of courtesy carry privileged pardons in their foreheads. Know, therefore, to discover my fortunes were to renew my sorrows, and I should, by discoursing my mishaps, but rake fire out of the cinders. Therefore let this suffice, gentle shepherd. My distress is as great as my travel is dangerous, and I wander in this forest to light on some cottage where I and my page may dwell, for I mean to buy some farm and a flock of sheep, and so become a shepherdess, meaning to live low and content me with a country life. For I have heard the swains say that they drunk without suspicion and slept without care. Marry, mistress, quoth Coridon, if you mean so, you came in good time, for my landslord intends to sell both the farm I till and the flock I keep, and cheap you may have them for ready money. And for a shepherd's life, O oh, mistress, did you but live a while in their content, you would say the court were rather a place of sorrow than of solace. Here, mistress, shall not fortune thwart you, but in mean misfortunes, as the loss of a few sheep, which, as it breeds no beggary, so it can be no extreme prejudice. The next year may mend all with a fresh increase. Envy stirs not us, we covet not to climb, our desires mount not above our degrees, nor our thoughts above our fortunes. Care cannot harbor in our cottages, nor do our homely couches no broken slumbers. As we exceed not in diet, so we have enough to satisfy. And, mistress, I have so much Latin, satis est, quod sufficit. By my troth, shepherd, quoth Aliena, thou makest me in love with your country life, and therefore send for thy lands, lord, and I will buy thy farm and thy flocks, and thou shalt still under me be overseer of them both. Only for pleasure's sake I and my page will serve you, lead the flocks to the field, and fold them. Thus will I live quiet, unknown, and contented. This news so gladded the heart of Coridon, that he should not be put out of his farm, that, putting off his shepherd's bonnet, he did her all the reverence that he might. But all this while sat Montanus in a muse, thinking of the cruelty of his Phoebe, whom he wooed long, but was in no hope to win. Ganymede, who still had the remembrance of Rosader in his thoughts, took delight to see the poor shepherd passionate, laughing at love that in all his actions was so imperious. At last, when she had noted his tears that stole down his cheeks, and his sighs that broke from the center of his heart, pitying his lament, she demanded of Coridon why the young shepherd looked so sorrowful. Oh, sir, quoth he, the boy is in love. Why, quoth Ganymede, can shepherds love? I, quoth Montanus, and over love, else shouldst not thou see me so pensive. Love, I tell thee, is as precious in a shepherd's eye as in the looks of a king, and we country swains entertain fancy with as great delight as the proudest courtier doth affection. Opportunity, that is the sweetest friend to Venus, harboreth in our cottages, and loyalty, the chiefest fealty that Cupid requires, is found more among shepherds than higher degrees. Then ask not if such silly swains can love. What is the cause, then, quoth Ganymede, that love, being so sweet to thee, thou lookest so sorrowful? Because, quoth Montanus, the party beloved is froward, and having courtesy in her looks, holdeth disdain in her tongue's end. What hath she then, quoth Aliena, in her heart? Desire, I hope, madam, quoth he, or else my hope lost, despair in love were death. As thus they chatted, the sun being ready to set, and they not having folded their sheep, Coridon requested she would sit there with her page till Montanus and he lodged their sheep for that night. You shall go, quoth Aliena, but first I will entreat Montanus to sing some amorous sonnet, that he made when he hath been deeply passionate. 
that I will, quoth Montanus, and with that he began thus. Montanus's Sonnet Phoebe sat, sweet she sat, sweet sat Phoebe when I saw her. White her brow, coy her eye, brow and eye, how much you please me. Words I spent, sighs I sent, sighs and words could never draw her. O oh, my love, thou art lost, since no sight could ever ease thee. Phoebe sat by a fount, sitting by a fount I spied her. Sweeter touch, rare her voice, touch and voice, what may disdain you? As she sung, I did sigh, and by sighs, whilst that I tried her, O oh, mine eyes, you did lose her first sight, whose want did pain you. Phoebe's flocks, white as wool, yet were Phoebe's locks more whiter. Phoebe's eyes, dove-like mild, dove-like eyes both mild and cruel. Montan swears, in your lamps he will die for to delight her. Phoebe, yield, or I die. Shall true hearts be fancy's fuel? Note. This poem was parodied by one of Lodge's contemporaries under the title Ronsard's Description of His Mistress in allusion to Lodge's habit of imitating foreign poets. Montana said no sooner ended his sonnet, but Coridan, with a low courtesy, rose up and went with his fellow and shut their sheep in the folds, and after returning to Aliena and Ganymede, conducted them home weary to his poor cottage. By the way, there was much good chat with Montanus about his loves, he resolving Aliena that Phoebe was the fairest shepherdess in all France, and that in his eye her beauty was equal with the nymphs. But, quoth he, as of all stones the diamond is most clearest, and yet most hard for the lapidary to cut, as of all flowers the rose is the fairest, and yet guarded with the sharpest prickles. So of all our country lasses, Phoebe is the brightest, but the most coy of all to stoop unto desire. But let her take heed, quoth he, I have heard of Narcissus, who for his high disdain against love perished in the folly of his own love. With this they were at Coridan's cottage, where Montanus parted from them, and they went in to rest. Eliana and Ganymede, glad of so contented a shelter, made merry with the poor swain, and though they had but country fare and coarse lodging, yet their welcome was so great, and their cares so little, that they counted their diet delicate, and slept as soundly as if they had been in the court of Torresmond. The next morn they lay long in bed, as wearied with the toil of unaccustomed travel, but as soon as they got up, Aliena resolved there to set up her rest. Note choose her dwelling, and by the help of Coridan, swapped a bargain, note, concluded, with his landslord, and so became mistress of the farm and the flock, herself putting on the attire of a shepherdess, and Ganymede of a young swain, every day leading forth her flocks with such delight that she held her exile happy, and thought no content to the bliss of a country cottage. Leaving her thus famous amongst the shepherds of Arden, again to Saladine. When Saladine had a long while concealed a secret resolution of revenge, and could no longer hide fire in the flax nor oil in the flame, for envy is like lightning that will appear in the darkest fog, it chanced on a morning very early he called up certain of his servants and went with them to the chamber of Rossiter which being open, he entered with his crew, and surprised his brother being asleep, and bound him in fetters, and in the midst of his hall chained him to a post. Rossiter, amazed at this strange chance, began to reason with his brother about the cause of this sudden extremity, wherein he had wronged, and what fault he had committed, worthy so sharp a penance. Saladine answered him only with a look of disdain, and went his way, leaving poor Rossiter in a deep perplexity, who, thus abused, fell into sundry passions, but no means of relief could be had. Whereupon, for anger, he grew into a discontented melancholy, in which humor he continued two or three days without meat, insomuch that, seeing his brother would give him no food, he fell into despair of his life, 
which Adam Spencer, the old servant of Sir John of Bordeaux, seeing, touched with the duty and love he ought to his old master, note, ought, owed, felt a remorse in his conscience of his son's mishap, and therefore, although Saladine had given a general charge to his servants that none of them, upon pain of death, should give either meat or drink to Rossiter, yet Adam Spencer, in the night, rose secretly, and brought him such victuals as he could provide, and unlocked him, and set him at liberty. After Rossiter had well feasted himself, and felt he was loose, straight his thoughts aimed at revenge, and now, all being asleep, he would have quit Saladine with the method of his own mischief. But Adam Spencer did persuade him to the contrary with these reasons. Sir, quoth he, be content, for this night go again into your old fetters. So shall you try the faith of friends, and save the life of an old servant. To-morrow hath your brother invited all your kindred and allies to a solemn breakfast only to see you, telling them all that you are mad and fain to be tied to a post. As soon as they come, complain to them of the abuse proffered you by Saladine. If they redress you, why so? But if they pass over your plaints, sico pede, and hold with the violence of your brother before your innocence, then thus I will leave you unlocked, that you may break out at your pleasure. And at the end of the hall shall you see stand a couple of good poleaxes, one for you and another for me. When I give you a wink, shake off your chains, and let us play the men and make havoc amongst them. Drive them out of the house, and maintain possession by force of arms, till the king hath made a redress of your abuses. These words of Adam Spencer so persuaded Rossiter, that he went to the place of his punishment, and stood there while the next morning. Note. While means until. About the time appointed came all the guests bidden by Saladine, whom he entreated with courteous and curious entertainment, as they all perceived their welcome to be great. The tables in the hall where Rossiter was tied were covered, and Saladine, bringing in his guests together, showed them where his brother was bound and was enchained as a man lunatic. Rossiter made reply, and with some invectives, made complaints of the wrongs proffered him by Saladine, desiring they would in pity seek some means for his relief, but in vain they had stopped their ears with Ulysses, that, were his words never so forcible, he breathed only his passions into the wind. They, careless, sat down with Saladine to dinner, being very frolic and pleasant, washing their heads well with wine. At last, when the fume of the grape had entered pell-mell into their brains, they began in satirical speeches to rail against Rossiter, which, Adam Spencer no longer brooking, gave the sign, and Rossiter, shaking off his chains, got a pole-axe in his hand and flew amongst them with such violence and fury that he hurt many, slew some, and drove his brother and all the rest quite out of the house. Seeing the coast clear, he shut the doors, and being sore and hungered, and seeing such good victuals, he sat him down with Adam Spencer and such good fellows as he knew were honest men, and there feasted themselves with such provision as Saladine had prepared for his friends. After they had taken their repast, Rossiter rampered, no, barricaded, rampered up the house, lest upon a sudden his brother should raise some crew of his tenants and surprise them unawares. But Saladine took a contrary course, and went to the sheriff of the shire, and made complaint of Rossiter who, giving credit to Saladine, in a determined resolution to revenge the gentleman's wrongs, took with him five-and-twenty tall men, note, tall, brave, and made a vow either to break into the house and take Rossiter, or else to coop him in, till he made him yield by famine. In this determination, gathering crew together, he went forward to set Saladine in his former estate. News of this was brought unto Rossiter, who, smiling at the cowardice of his brother, brooked all the injuries of fortune with patience, expecting the coming of the sheriff. As he walked upon the battlements of the house, he descried where Saladine and he drew near with a troop of lusty gallants. At this he smiled and called Adam Spencer, and showed him the envious treachery of his brother and the folly of the sheriff to be so credulous. Now, Adam, quoth he, what shall I do? 
it rests for me either to yield up the house to my brother and seek a reconcilement, or else issue out and break through the company with courage, for cooped in like a coward I will not be. If I submit, ah, Adam, I dishonor myself, and that is worse than death. For by such open disgraces the fame of men grows odious. If I issue out amongst them, fortune may favor me, and I may escape with life. But suppose the worst. If I be slain, then my death shall be honorable to me, and so unequal a revenge infamous to Saladine. Why then, master, forward and fear not, out amongst them. They be but faint-hearted losels. Note, lazy, worthless fellows. And for Adam Spencer, if he die not at your foot, say he is a dastard. These words cheered up so the heart of young Rosader that he thought himself sufficient for them all, and therefore prepared weapons for him and Adam Spencer, and were ready to entertain the sheriff. For no sooner came Saladine and he to the gates, but Rosader, unlooked for, leaped out and assailed them, wounded many of them, and caused the rest to give back, so that Adam and he broke through the press, note, crowd, in despite of them all, and took their way towards the forest of Arden. This repulso set the sheriff's heart on fire to revenge, that he straight raised all the country and made hue and cry after them. But Rosader and Adam, knowing full well the secret ways that led through the vineyards, stole away privily through the province of Bordeaux, and escaped safe to the forest of Arden. Being come thither, they were glad they had so good a harbor. But fortune, who is like the chameleon, variable with every object, and constant in nothing but inconstancy, thought to make them mirrors of her mutability, and therefore still crossed them thus contrarily. Thinking still to pass on by the byways to get to Lyon, they chanced on a path that led into the thick of the forest, where they wandered five or six days without meat, that they were almost famished, finding neither shepherd nor cottage to relieve them. And hunger growing on so extreme, Adam Spencer, being old, began first to faint, and sitting him down on a hill and looking about him, espied where Rosader lay as feeble and as ill-perplexed which sight made him shed tears, and to fall into these bitter terms. Adam Spencer's Speech Oh, how the life of man may well be compared to the state of the ocean's seas, that for every calm hath a thousand storms, resembling the rose-tree, that for a few fair flowers hath a multitude of sharp prickles. All our pleasures end in pain, and our highest delights are crossed with deepest discontents. The joys of man, as they are few, so are they momentary, scarce ripe before they are rotten and withering in the blossom, either parched with the heat of envy or fortune. Fortune, O oh, inconstant friend, that in all thy deeds art froward and fickle, delighting in the poverty of the lowest and the overthrow of the highest, to decipher thy inconstancy. Thou standest upon a globe, and thy wings are plumed with time's feathers, that thou mayst ever be restless. Thou art double-faced like Janus, carrying frowns in the one to threaten, and smiles in the other to betray. Thou profferest an eel, and performest a scorpion. And where thy greatest favors be, there is the fear of the extremest misfortunes, so variable are all thy actions. But why, Adam, dost thou exclaim against fortune? She laughs at the plaints of the distressed, and there is nothing more pleasing unto her than to hear fools boast in her fading allurements or sorrowful men to discover the sour of their passions. Glut her not, Adam, then, with content, but thwart her with brooking all mishaps with patience. For there is no greater check to the pride of fortune than with a resolute courage to pass over her crosses without care. Thou art old, Adam, and thy hairs wax white. The palm tree is already full of blooms, and in the furrows of thy face appears the calendars of death. Wert thou blessed by fortune, thy years could not be many, nor the date of thy life long. Then sith nature must have her due, 
What is it for thee to resign her debt a little before the day? Ah, it is not this which grieveth me, nor do I care what mishaps fortune can wage against me, but the sight of Rossiter, that galleth unto the quick. When I remember the worships of his house, the honor of his fathers, and the virtues of himself, then do I say that fortune and the fates are most injurious to censure so hard extremes against a youth of so great hope. O Rossiter, thou art in the flower of thine age, and in the pride of thy years, buxom and full of May. Nature hath prodigally enriched thee with her favors, and virtue made thee the mirror of her excellence. And now, through the decree of the unjust stars, to have all these good parts nipped in the blade and blemished by the inconstancy of fortune, ah, Rosader, could I help thee my grief for the less, and happy should my death be, if it might be the beginning of thy relief. But, seeing we perish both in one extreme, it is a double sorrow. What shall I do? Prevent the sight of his further misfortune with a present dispatch of mine own life? Ah, despair is a merciless sin. As he was ready to go forward in his passion, he looked earnestly on Rossiter, and, seeing him change color, he rise up and went to him, and, holding his temple, said, What cheer, master? Though all fail, let not the heart faint. The courage of a man is showed in the resolution of his death. At these words Rossiter lifted up his eye, and looking on Adam Spencer began to weep. Ah, Adam, quoth he, I sorrow not to die, but I grieve at the manner of my death. Might I with my lance encounter the enemy, and so die in the field, it were honor and content. Might I, Adam, combat with some wild beast, and perish as his prey, I were satisfied. But to die with hunger, oh, Adam, it is the extremest of all extremes. Master, quoth he, you see we are both in one predicament and long I cannot live without meat. Seeing, therefore, we can find no food, let the death of the one preserve the life of the other. I am old and overworn with age. You are young and are the hope of many honors. Let me then die. I will presently cut my veins, and, master, with the warm blood, relieve your fainting spirits. Suck on that till I end, and you be comforted. With that, Adam Spencer was ready to pull out his knife, when Rosader, full of courage, though very faint, rose up and wished Adam Spencer to sit there till his return. For my mind gives me, quoth he, I shall bring thee meat. With that, like a madman, he rose up and ranged up and down the woods, seeking to encounter some wild beast with his rapier, that either he might carry his friend Adam food, or else pledge his life in pawn for his loyalty. It chanced that day that Gerismund, the lawful king of France, banished by Torismund, who with a lusty crew of outlaws lived in that forest, that day in honor of his birth made a feast to all his bold yeomen, and frolicked it with store of wine and venison, sitting all at a long table under the shadow of lemon trees. To that place by chance fortune conducted Rossiter, who, seeing such a crew of brave men, having store of that for want of which he and Adam perished, he stepped boldly to the board's end, and saluted the company thus. Whatsoever thou be that art master of these lusty squires, I salute thee as graciously as a man in extreme distress may. Know that I and a fellow friend of mine are here famished in the forest for want of food. Perish we must unless relieved by thy favors. Therefore, if thou be a gentleman, Give meat to men and to such men as are every way worthy of life. Let the proudest squire that sits at thy table rise and encounter with me in any honorable point of activity whatsoever, and if he and thou prove me not a man, send me away comfortless. If thou refuse this, as a niggard of thy cates, I will have amongst you with my sword, for rather will I die valiantly than perish with so cowardly an extreme. Gerismund, looking him earnestly in the face, and seeing so proper a gentleman in so bitter a passion, was moved with so great pity that, rising from the table, he took him by the hand and bade him welcome, willing him to sit down in his place, 
and in his room not only to eat his fill, but to be lord of the feast. Gramercy, sir, quoth Rossiter, but I have a feeble friend that lies hereby famished almost for food, aged, and therefore less able to abide the extremity of hunger than myself, and dishonor it were for me to taste one crumb before I made him partner of my fortunes. Therefore I will run and fetch him, and then I will gratefully accept of your proffer. Away hies Rossiter to Adam Spencer and tells him the news, who was glad of so happy fortune, but so feeble he was that he could not go, whereupon Rossiter got him up on his back and brought him to the place, which when Gerismund and his men saw, they greatly applauded their league of friendship, and Rossiter, having Gerismund place assigned him, would not sit there himself, but set down Adam Spencer. Well, to be short, those hungry squires fell to their victuals and feasted themselves with good delicates and great store of wine. As soon as they had taken their repast, Gerismund, desirous to hear what hard fortune drove them into those bitter extremes, requested Rossiter to discourse, if it were not any way prejudicial unto him, the cause of his travel. Rossiter, desirous any way to satisfy the courtesy of his favorable host, first beginning his exordium with a volley of sighs and a few lukewarm tears, prosecuted his discourse and told him from point to point all his fortunes, how he was the youngest son of Sir John of Bordeaux, his name Rossiter, how his brother sundry times had wronged him, and lastly how for beating the sheriff and hurting his men he fled. And this old man, quoth he, whom I so much love and honor, is surnamed Adam Spencer, an old servant of my father's, and one that, for his love, never failed me in all my misfortunes. When Gerismund heard this, he fell on the neck of Rossiter, and next, discoursing unto him how he was Gerismund, their lawful king, exiled by Torismund, what familiarity had ever been betwixt his father Sir John of Bordeaux and him, how faithful a subject he lived, and how honorable he died, promising for his sake to give both him and his friend such courteous entertainment as his present estate could minister, and upon this made him one of his foresters. Rossiter, seeing it was the king, craved pardon for his boldness in that he did not do him due reverence, and humbly gave him thanks for his favorable courtesy. Gerismund, not satisfied yet with news, began to inquire if he had been lately in the court of Torismund, and whether he had seen his daughter Rosalind or no. At this, Rosader fetched a deep sigh, and shedding many tears, could not answer. Yet at last, gathering his spirits together, he revealed unto the king how Rosalind was banished, and how there was such a sympathy of affections between Alinda and her, that she chose rather to be partaker of her exile than to part fellowship, whereupon the unnatural king banished them both, now they are wandered none knows whither, neither could any learn since their departure the place of their abode. This news drave the king into a great melancholy, that presently he arose from all the company, and went into his privy chamber, so secret as the harbour of the woods would allow him. The company was all dashed at these tidings, and Rosader and Adam Spencer, having such opportunity, went to take their rest where we leave them, and return again to Torismund. The flight of Rossiter came to the ears of Torismund, who, hearing that Saladine was sole heir of the lands of Sir John of Bordeaux, desirous to possess such fair revenues, found just occasion to quarrel with Saladine about the wrongs he proffered to his brother, and therefore dispatching a herald, note, a herald, he sent for Saladine in all post-haste, who, marvelling what the matter should be, began to examine his own conscience, wherein he had offended his highness. But, emboldened with his innocence, he boldly went with the herehold unto the court, where, as soon as he came, he was not admitted into the presence of the king, but presently sent to prison. This greatly amazed Saladine, chiefly in that the jailer had a straight charge over him to see that he should be close prisoner. Many passionate thoughts came into his head, till at last 
he began to fall into consideration of his former follies and to meditate with himself leaning his head on his hand and his elbow on his knee full of sorrow grief and disquieted passions he resolved into these terms saladine's complaint unhappy saladine whom folly hath led to these misfortunes and wanton desires wrapped within the labyrinth of these calamities are not the heavens doomers of men's deeds and holds not god a balance in his fist to reward with favor and revenge with justice o saladine the faults of thy youth as they were fond so were they foul and not only discovering little nurture but blemishing the excellence of nature whelps of one litter are ever most loving and brothers that are sons of one father should live in friendship without jar o saladine so it should be but thou hast with the deer fed against the wind with the crab strove against the stream and sought to pervert nature by unkindness rossiter's wrongs the wrongs of rossiter saladine cries for revenge his youth pleads to god to inflict some penance upon thee his virtues are pleas that enforce writs of displeasure to cross thee thou hast highly abused thy kind and natural brother and the heavens cannot spare to quite thee with punishment there is no sting to the worm of conscience no hell to a mind touched with guilt every wrong i offered him called now to remembrance wringeth a drop of blood from my heart every bad look every frown pincheth me at the quick and says saladine thou hast sinned against rossiter be penitent and assign thyself some penance to discover thy sorrow and pacify his wrath in the depth of his passion he was sent for to the king who with the look that threatened death entertained him and demanded of him where his brother was saladine made answer that upon some riot made against the sheriff of the shire he was fled from bordeaux but he knew not whither nay villain quoth he i have heard of the wrongs thou hast proffered thy brother since the death of thy father and by thy means have i lost a most brave and resolute chevalier therefore in justice to punish thee i spare thy life for thy father's sake but banish thee for ever from the court and country of france and see thy departure be within ten days else trust me thou shalt lose thy head and with that the king flew away in a rage and left poor saladine greatly perplexed who grieving at his exile yet determined to bear it with patience and in penance of his former follies to travel abroad in every coast till he had found out his brother rossiter with whom now i begin rossiter being thus preferred to the place of a forester by garrisman rooted out the remembrance of his brother's unkindness by continual exercise traversing the groves and wild forests partly to hear the melody of the sweet birds which recorded note sang and partly to show his diligent endeavor in his master's behalf yet whatsoever he did or howsoever he walked the lively image of rosalind remained in memory on her sweet perfections he fed his thoughts proving himself like the eagle a true-born bird since as the one is known by beholding the sun so was he by regarding excellent beauty one day among the rest finding a fit opportunity and place convenient desirous to discover his woes to the woods he engraved with his knife on the bark of a myrtle tree this pretty estimate of his mistress perfection sonetto of all chaste birds the phoenix doth excel of all strong beasts the lion bears the bell of all sweet flowers the rose doth sweetest smell of all fair maids my rosalind is fairest of all pure metals gold is only purest of all high trees the pine hath highest crest of all soft sweets i like my mistress breast of all chaste thoughts my mistress thoughts are rarest of all proud birds the eagle pleaseth jove of pretty fowls kind venus likes the dove of trees minerva doth the olive love of all sweet nymphs i honor rosalind of all her gifts her wisdom pleaseth most of all her graces virtue she doth boast 
For all these gifts my life and joy is lost if Rosalind prove cruel and unkind. In these and such like passions, Rosader did every day eternize the name of his Rosalind, and this day, especially when Eliana and Ganymede, enforced by the heat of the sun to seek for shelter, by good fortune arrived in that place where this amorous forester registered his melancholy passions. They saw the sudden change of his looks, his folded arms, his passionate sighs. They heard him often abruptly call on Rosalind, who, poor soul, was as hotly burned as himself, but that she shrouded her pains in the cinders of honorable modesty. Whereupon, guessing him to be in love, and according to the nature of their sex being pitiful in that behalf, they suddenly broke off his melancholy by their approach, and Ganymede shook him out of his dumps thus. What news, Forester? Hast thou wounded some deer, and lost him in the fall? Care not, man, for so small a loss. Thy fees was but the skin, the shoulder, and the horns. Tis hunter's luck to aim fair and miss, and a woodman's fortune to strike, and yet go without the game. Thou art beyond the mark, Ganymede, quoth Aliena. His passions are greater, and his size discovers more loss. Perhaps in traversing these thickets he hath seen some beautiful nymph, and is grown amorous. It may be so, quoth Ganymede, for here he hath newly engraven some sonnet. Come and see the discourse of the forester's poems. Reading the sonnet over, and hearing him name Rosalind, Aliena looked on Ganymede and laughed, and Ganymede, looking back on the forester, and seeing it was Rosader, blushed. Yet, thinking to shroud all under her page's apparel, she boldly returned to Rosader and began thus. I pray thee tell me, forester, what is this Rosalind for whom thou pinest away in such passions? Is she some nymph that waits upon Diana's train, whose chastity thou hast deciphered in such epithets? Or is she some shepherdess that haunts these plains, whose beauty hath so bewitched thy fancy, whose name thou shadowest in covert under the figure of Rosalind, as Ovid did Julia under the name of Corinna? Or say me forsooth, is it that Rosalind of whom we shepherds have heard talk, she, forester, that is the daughter of Gerismund, that once was king and now an outlaw in this forest of Arden? At this Rosader fetched a deep sigh and said, it is she, O oh gentle swain, it is she, that saint it is whom I serve, that goddess at whose shrine I do bend all my devotions, the most fairest of all fairs, the phoenix of all that sex, and the purity of all earthly perfection. And why, gentle forester, if she be so beautiful and thou so amorous, is there such a disagreement in thy thoughts? Happily she resembleth the rose that is sweet but full of prickles, or the serpent Regis, that hath scales as glorious as the sun, and a breath as infectious as the aconitum is deadly. So thy Rosalind may be amiable and yet unkind, full of favor and yet froward, coy without wit and disdainful without reason. O shepherd, quoth Rosader, knewest thou her personage, graced with the excellence of all perfection, being a harbor wherein the graces shroud their virtues, Thou wouldst not breathe out such blasphemy against the beauteous Rosalind. She is a diamond, bright but not hard, yet of most chaste operation, a pearl so orient note, precious, that it can be stained with no blemish, a rose without prickles, and a princess absolute as well in beauty as in virtue. But I, unhappy I, have let mine eye soar with the eagle against so bright a sun that I am quite blind. I have with Apollo enamoured myself of a Daphne, not as she disdainful, but far more chaste than Daphne. I have with Ixion laid my love on Juno, and shall I fear embrace not but a cloud. Ah, shepherd, I have reached at a star, my desires have mounted above my degree, and my thoughts above my fortunes. I, being a peasant, have ventured to gaze on a princess whose honours are too high to vouchsafe such base loves. Why, Forester, quoth Ganymede, comfort thyself. Be blithe and frolic, man. Love souseth, note, swoops, a term used in falconry, as low as she soareth high. Cupid shoots at a rag as soon as at a robe, and Venus' eye, that was so curious, sparkled favor on pole-footed Vulcan. Note, pole-footed, club-footed. Fear not, man, women's looks are not tied to dignity's feathers. 
nor make their curious esteem where the stone is found, but what is the virtue. Fear not, Forester, faint heart never won fair lady. But where lives Rosalind now? At the court? Oh, no, quoth Rosader, she lives I know not where, and that is my sorrow, banished by Torismond, and that is my hell. For might I but find her sacred personage, and plead before the bar of her pity, the plaint of my passions, hope tells me she would grace me with some favor, and that would suffice as a recompense of all my former miseries. Much have I heard of thy mistress' excellence, and I know, Forester, thou canst describe her at the full, as one that hast surveyed all her parts with a curious eye. Then do me that favor, to tell me what her perfections be. That I will, quoth Rosader, for I glory to make all ears wonder at my mistress' excellence. And with that he pulled a paper forth his bosom, wherein he read this. Rosalind's description. Like to the clear in highest sphere where all imperial glory shines. Note. Clear. Brightness. Of self-same color is her hair, whether unfolded or in twines. Hey-ho, fair Rosalind. Her eyes are sapphires set in snow, refining heaven by every wink. The gods do fear when as they glow, and I do tremble when I think. Hey ho, would she were mine. Her cheeks are like the blushing cloud that beautifies Aurora's face, or like the silver crimson shroud that Phoebus' smiling looks doth grace. Hey ho, fair Rosalind. Her lips are like two budded roses, whom ranks of lilies neighbor nigh within which bound she balm encloses apt to entice a deity hey ho would she were mine her neck like to a stately tower where love himself imprisoned lies to watch for glances every hour from her divine and sacred eyes hey ho fair rosalind her paps are centres of delight her paps are orbs of heavenly frame where nature moulds the dew of light to feed perfection with the same Hey ho, would she were mine. With orient pearl, with ruby red, with marble white, with sapphire blue, her body every way is fed, yet soft in touch and sweet in view. Hey ho, fair Rosalind. Nature herself her shape admires, the gods are wounded in her sight, and love forsakes his heavenly fires, and at her eyes his brand doth light. Hey ho, would she were mine. Then muse not, nymphs, though I bemoan the absence of fair Rosalind, since for her fair, note, fairness, there is fairer none, nor for her virtues so divine. Hey-ho, fair Rosalind, hey-ho, my heart, would God that she were mine. Periot, quia de peribat. Believe me, quoth Ganymede, either the forester is an exquisite painter, or Rosalind fair above wonder. So it makes me blush to hear how women should be so excellent and pages so unperfect. Rosader, beholding her earnestly, answered thus, Truly, gentle page, thou hast cause to complain thee, wert thou the substance, but, resembling the shadow, content thyself. For it is excellence enough to be like the excellence of nature. He hath answered you, Ganymede, quoth Aliena, it is enough for pages to wait on beautiful ladies, and not to be beautiful themselves. O oh, mistress, quoth Ganymede, hold you your peace, for you are partial. Who knows not but that all women have desire to tie sovereignty to their petticoats, and ascribe beauty to themselves, where if boys might put on their garments, perhaps they would prove as comely. If not as comely, it may be more courteous. But tell me, Forester, and with that she turned to Rosader, under whom maintainest thou thy walk? Gentle Swain, under the king of outlaws, said he, the unfortunate Gerismund, who, having lost his kingdom, crowneth his thoughts with content, accounting it better to govern among poor men in peace than great men in danger. But hast thou not, said she, having so melancholy opportunities as this forest affordeth thee, written more sonnets in commendations of thy mistress? I have, gentle Swain, quoth he, but they be not about me. Tomorrow, by dawn of day, if your flocks feed in these pastures, I will bring them you, wherein you shall read my passions, whilst I feel them. Judge my patience when you read it, till when I bid farewell. So giving both Ganymede and Aliena a gentle good night, he resorted to his lodge, leaving Aliena and Ganymede to their prittle prattle.
So, Ganymede, said Aliena, the forester being gone, you are mightily beloved. Men make ditties in your praise, spend sighs for your sake, make an idol of your beauty. Believe me, it grieves me not a little to see the poor man so pensive, and you so pitiless. Ah, Aliena, quoth she, be not peremptory in your judgments. I hear Rosalind praised as I am Ganymede, but were I Rosalind, I could answer the forester. If he mourn for love, there are medicines for love. Rosalind cannot be fair and unkind. And so, madam, you see it is time to fold our flocks, or else Corridon will frown and say you will never prove good housewife. With that, they put their sheep into the coats and went home to her friend Corridon's cottage. Aliena, as merry as might be, that she was thus in the company of her Rosalind, but she, poor soul, that had love her lodestar, and her thoughts set on fire with the flame of fancy, could take no rest, but being alone, began to consider what passionate penance poor Rosader was enjoined to by love and fortune, that at last she fell into this humor with herself. Rosalind passionate alone. Ah, Rosalind, how the fates have set down in their synod to make thee unhappy. For when fortune hath done her worst, then love comes in to begin a new tragedy. She seeks to lodge her son in thine eyes, and to kindle her fires in thy bosom. Beware, fond girl, he is an unruly guest to harbor, for, cutting in by entreats, he will not be thrust out by force, and her fires are fed with such fuel as no water is able to quench. Seest thou not how Venus seeks to wrap thee in her labyrinth, wherein is pleasure at the entrance, but within sorrows, cares, and discontent? She is a siren, stop thine ears to her melody. She is a basilisk, shut thine eyes and gaze not at her lest thou perish thou art now placed in the country content where are heavenly thoughts and mean desires in those lawns where thy flocks feed diana haunts be as her nymphs chaste and enemy to love for there is no greater honor to a maid than to account of fancy as a mortal foe to their sex daphne that bonny wench was not turned into a bay-tree, as the poets feign, but for her chastity her fame was immortal, resembling the laurel that is ever green. Follow thou her steps, Rosalind, and the rather for that thou art an exile and banished from the court, whose distress, as it is appeased with patience, so it would be renewed with amorous passions. Have mind on thy forepassed fortunes, fear the worst, and entangle not thyself with present fancies, lest loving in haste thou repent thee at leisure. Ah, but yet, Rosalind, it is Rosader that courts thee, one who, as he is beautiful, so he is virtuous, and harboreth in his mind as many good qualities as his face is shadowed with gracious favors. And therefore Rosalind stooped to love, lest, being either too coy or too cruel, Venus wax wroth and plague thee with the reward of disdain. Rosalind, thus passionate, was wakened from her dumps by Aliena. Note, dumps, meditation. Who said it was time to go to bed. Corridon swore that was true, for Charles Wayne was risen in the north. Whereupon, each taking leave of other, went to their rest. All but the poor Rosalind, who was so full of passions that she could not possess any content. Well, leaving her to her broken slumbers, Expect what was performed by them the next morning. End of part two.